Good morning. It's good to be with all of you here today. Um, we'll dismiss the uh, junior church kids. They can go back and the boys class can also um, go in the back as well. Um, just a few more announcements to um, take note of um, concerning all things. Uh, appreciate the, the Soundview Pregnancy Testimonial. And for those that don't know, that is a, a place that provides help for people who may um, find themselves pregnant or with child and, and not sure what to do or don't, maybe pressured to have an abortion and God's leading them a different way and things like that. So, um, and much more to it, but um, talk to the people there or people that know about it. Also, there's an opportunity to give in the back as well. Um, the other announcement that I wanted to make note of today, um, there is a St. Patrick's Day parade down in Patchogue. And Brother Greg, who was just leading songs up here, is going to go down between the hours of 2 and 3 and hand out tracks. And so if anybody's interested in that, um, then just see him afterwards. You'll still have time to get your bagels and fellowship. And then um, those that want to participate in that kind of evangelism effort, you have that opportunity and can um, go over there with him. The next announcement is, um, I think it's four weeks from today. I didn't check the calendar, but I think it's four weeks from today. Um, it's Easter morning, Resurrection Sunday morning. And we're going to um, do a couple special things. And maybe uh, both churches are probably used to doing these things in the past, but with COVID, maybe things have interrupted a little bit. But there'll be an 8 a.m. service over at the White Church, um, right on Middle Country Road. And so maybe you didn't know that that was the original New Village Church. And um, that is right on Middle Country Road, kind of diagonally across from um, the Good Steer. So there'll be an 8 a.m. service there. Not quite sure if it's going to be inside or outside among the graveyard, but there'll be a, a, a short service there where I would like to attend. And then at 9 a.m., between the hour of 9 and 10, there'll be a breakfast buffet downstairs. And so New Hope, um, you guys are used to that, the morning, their early morning breakfast or the morning breakfast of Easter morning. And so it's a great opportunity to invite people to. And then we'll have service up here. Now, I want to encourage you, Resurrection Sunday morning. I, 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 we use Easter, that's the common English word. I, understandably, uh, Easter is not necessarily the same as Resurrection Sunday, but we use them synonymously, so forgive my interchanging of it. Um, but Resurrection Sunday morning is a great opportunity to invite people who otherwise may not feel comfortable in church um, or may not be used to coming to church. Also, it's a good opportunity for those that are maybe have grown up Catholic or grown up something else and are used to maybe two times a year, Christmas and Easter. Easter is one of them. And so it's an awesome opportunity to be able to invite people to church. The gospel will be preached and um, there'll be opportunity for them to be saved. So those couple announcements. There's evangelism effort today at 2 to 3 and then also Easter morning. And if you would like to help with the serving of the food or making of the food, um, please come see us. Um, I already let Mrs. Early know about that as well. Uh, from our church and from some of the people from um, New Village. Uh, we'll kind of coordinate that within the next week or so. Um, so those are the announcements. If you have your Bible, um, I invite you to open up to Luke chapter 12. Now on Thursday nights, we're in a series in Luke. We're going verse by verse in the book of Luke. And we came up to this passage here, Luke 12. This is where we normally would have been this Thursday. And as I was looking at it and praying and asking God what he'd have me to preach on this morning, um, it became evident that this would be a great passage, though this is normally what we're up to on Thursday night. It's a great passage to move to Sunday morning. So th th this morning is going to be a lot like it would be on Thursday night. Um, and this passage is uh, going to be good for the crowd that's here today. I do, before we get there, I want to read one, pa one verse from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want you to consider this for a second. Then we'll pray and then we'll look at Luke chapter 12. 
Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 5, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves, know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobate. And so he gives that thing, examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. Now nobody can tell you whether you are or are not a believer, or you are or not saved. Those are interchangeable synonyms that connotate different understandings of the same thing. Whether or not you're born again, whether or not you're a believer, whether or not you're saved, whether or not you're going to heaven, all of those are synonymous. That is something you and the Lord alone know. But I can tell you this, if you know the um, parable of the wheat and the tares, the Bible tells about, Jesus tells about a parable there about a person who went out into a field and sowed seed and just threw seed out there to grow it. And at night the enemy came in and went and threw out tares or weeds among the wheat. And they grew together. And to the common bystander, it's impossible to know the difference between the wheat and tares, not until the time of harvest comes. And so I say all that to say this. It would be a tragedy, a horrible, under, a horrible concept for any of us to go through church to hear the gospel preached week after week and yet ourselves not be saved. Going to church for umpteenth years does not get anyone to heaven. Tithing every week does not get anyone to heaven. Jesus Christ alone is the only way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And so I want you to consider that your own personal walk and your own personal life before the Lord examine whether you be in the faith. Now, I do want to say two things about this. It's a double-edged sword and and, and the devil tries to attack in two different ways. He tries to make the believer doubt their salvation. And the, the, the devil knows that a believer who is constantly doubting whether they're saved is going to be hindered in their walk with God or hindered in the way God will use them or and, and hindered in the power that God can have in their life because they're constantly doubting, going back and forth, and it's like a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Likewise, the devil wants to make unbelievers confident that they're good enough to get to heaven or their religion is good enough for god to let them into heaven and so the devil wants to make believers doubt and he wants to make unbelievers confident falsely in the fact that they're going to heaven but again only you and the spirit of the lord to the god himself know whether or not you're in the faith and my intention here is not to make anybody doubt their salvation my intention is to preach the word of god and let the holy spirit point out Wherever you are, and if you need to be saved, we would love that opportunity to show you from the Bible how you can be born again today. Today. You can walk the aisle, talk to somebody, and you can know for sure you're going to heaven today. And for those that do know that they're believers, know that they're saved, there's some great encouragement in this passage, as we will see. So let's pray, and I'll bring you up to speed on the context. Father, thank you so much. We need your power now. Father, we don't need your power for our glory We don't need your power for our celebration of self or our celebration of church or any of the like, not to impress people, not to be seen of people. But, Father, we want your power that the Word of God may go forth, may challenge lives, may convict people, may see people saved. And, Father, we we anticipate the angels in heaven rejoicing over one sinner that comes to repentance. Father, thank you for dying on the cross for us, for saving our souls. Lord, I pray that you'd bless Soundview Pregnancy Center. I pray, Lord, that you would lead people there, Father, who are in need of their services and help. I pray that you would fund them as you see fit. I pray you'd empower them to be used for the gospel's sake. And Lord, I pray now for your presence to be in our midst today. Be with the missionaries going over to Japan. Help that transition to be smooth. And we love you. And we pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So Jesus is making his way down to Jerusalem for the final descent, if you will. He's, a lot of his ministry has been up north in Israel, um, in his hometown of Nazareth, in the Capernaum area, in the northern region of Israel. But he knows he must needs die, and he must needs die on the cross for us in Jerusalem. And he knows that the process of that is going to be betrayed by sinful men like Judas, and he's going to be rejected by the priests and by the Pharisees and by the religious leaders. And so the closer he gets to Jerusalem... He's performing miracles. He's teaching authoritatively the words of God because he himself is God. And as he's getting closer and closer to Jerusalem, he's getting closer and closer to the temple and to their leaders and to their teaching and to their influence. And as he gets there, we, you and I might imagine that people would be with open arms receiving Jesus, but instead the opposite is true. The closer he gets to Jerusalem, the thicker the rejection, the thicker the deceit, the thicker the aggression towards Jesus they don't want anything he has to say. They don't want any of his miracles. They're looking for little loopholes. Oh, you healed, but you healed on the Sabbath. And, and, and he cuts the ear off. We talked about this. And yet he peels it, and yet nobody's, uh, wow, look at the power of God. And so they're rejecting him at an at a all-time high. In chapter 11, we went over this on Thursday night, Jesus went through the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, how they much rather look good on the outside than on the inside confront themselves with the truth of God. They, might, they love to be seen of men. They love to be seen in the marketplaces as religious. They love to be heard of their lofty prayers. They love to be concluded when somebody sees them. Wow, look at that spiritual person. And Jesus likens them unto a coffin. He says, on the outside you're white and sepulchers, but inside dead man's bones. You look all pretty. You look religious. You look like somebody who knows God, but you don't know God at all. And so the general population, people would look at the Pharisees who were religious leaders, who were theologians of the day, were teachers and preachers, and say, man, those people really know God. And they didn't. They were trusting in their efforts to have, or their entrance into heaven on their efforts of spirituality, on their efforts of religion, on their efforts of following the law. He also addressed scribes who were people who would copy the words of God from one a piece of papyrus to another. And so they were very well accustomed to the word of God. And, and he confronted them and said, man, you write all the scriptures and yet you don't know them. And then the lawyers who were people who were experts on the law of God and the Mosaic law and the Levitical law and all of that. And yet they did not know God either. And so Jesus confronted them. We come to chapter 12. And in this passage, you're going to see a co confronting of the people there, but also a comforting of the people that knew him. So there's going to be a confronting of the unbeliever, and there's going to be a comforting of the believer. And so you need to hear what the Holy Spirit's giving you today. Okay, don't hear my words, hear the Spirit of God's words. If you're a believer, there's a lot to be comforted here. And if you're not a believer, there's a lot to be confronted on. And again, I don't know. I'm not the salvation police. I don't know what's in someone's heart. I don't have some kind of radar to be able to figure that out, nor do I go around trying to figure that out. I'm just a, a sinner who deserves hell, but has been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and I'm on my way to heaven, not because of my efforts, but because of Christ's finished work on the cross and that alone. And so I have no special ability to tell you whether you're saved or not. But the Word of God and the Spirit of God can. And so what I want you again to see, if you are confronted today, if you realize I'm not saved, if you realize I don't know if I'm going to heaven, don't be in despair. Don't be fearful of that to the end. Be fearful in the confrontation and then see Jesus' arms opening up and inviting you to come and be forgiven of all of it. 
And so what I want you to see, even if you're confronted here today, you don't have to leave this place in despair. You can leave this place as a child of God. You can leave this place. You could have come in on your way to hell and leave this place on your way to heaven because that's the way the gospel works. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ utterly saves all that come unto him. He said, all that come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And so we come to chapter 12, verse 1. The Bible says, in the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say to his disciples first, he's teaching, and no doubt he has caused a stir publicly. For many people, they've come because they want to see miracles. For others, they want to hear what he has to say. For others, they want to trap him in his words and be able to prove and point out, see, I knew he was a fraud. And for others, they're genuine believers. And others, they're genuinely interested, what is this all about? And so as he began, comes onto the scene here a crowd has become so thick that they pressed upon him there's basically nowhere to move they're they're stepping on each other they're on top of each other there's absolutely no social distancing going on whatsoever they're on top of each other and as jesus is going to begin to speak he first turns to his own disciples who are probably surrounding him and no doubt other people are going to be able to hear what he's saying but his audience his preferred audience or his intended audience is first the disciples, and look at what he says. And by the way, others are going to hear this, right? He's not whispering this. He's speaking to them. But you ever speak to somebody and know that the other people around are listening? I remember some years ago, we went to Times Square. We were street preaching in Times Square, and it was like midnight. It was really late on Friday night, and no doubt that's still going to generate a big crowd in Times Square. And, and um, somebody came up to me and wanted to engage in a debate about atheism in Times Square. And and I remember talking to the person, and, and people were filming in, and people were have their cameras out and all this other, other things, and the guy was real skeptic. He thought he was really smart enough and intelligent, and he, he got all the answers for God, and he didn't. And I knew at that time that there was a small chance that he was going to understand or receive or heed to any of the things I was saying. But I knew the general crowd around me was listening. And so I knew that as I was speaking to him, I really wasn't just speaking to him, I was speaking to them. In a lot of ways, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's speaking to his disciples, he's warning them, he's comforting them, but he's also saying, I want you guys also, whoever can hear me, hear me. Look what he says. Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now to Jewish people, you, they knew this verse, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. They knew that leaven was a picture of sin in the Bible and in the Old Testament. And so when he says to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, he was saying, beware of the sin of the Pharisees. Beware of the contagious nature of the sin of the Pharisees. Because he wasn't just saying, hey, this is what they struggle with. He was saying leaven was an agent that was contagious, right? You put a little bit of leaven in your bread and it leavens the whole lump. It's yeast. It yeasts the whole lump. It will expand the whole lump. Either it's leaven-free or it's leaven-full. There's no in-between. And a little bit of leaven spreads. And so as he's talking to the disciples and his reference point is everybody else there, including Pharisees, who he just kind of ripped to shreds in the chapter before, he says, you watch out for their sin which is highly contagious, and here's what it is, hypocrisy. 
Now, Thursday night, we may mention this a little bit, but hypocrisy was just another name for actors at the time. Back in the Greek culture, they would put on masks, and sometimes men would dress up like women as per the theater, and, 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 and vice, you know, vice versa, men would act in different ways, and they would put on a mask, and everybody in the audience knew that that person was a hypocrite, not in a bad way, but in an acting way. This person was pretending to be something they weren't. And so what Jesus is saying is, let me tell you about the sins of the Pharisees. And now that would have gotten the attention of the people. Because now you're accusing highly religious, highly sought after, highly respected people of outright sin. And then you're calling this sin contagious sin. And then you're saying, let me tell you what it is. They're all frauds. They're fakers. They're pretenders. They're actors. They are fake believers. They are fake people following God they have no relationship with God at all now I can't quite tell somebody if they're a hypocrite or not but Jesus can he understands the thoughts and intentions of the heart he knows everything about us he knows everything we thought um brother Sid read the passage and by the way I want to say this and you'll see this come up in a little while I never coordinate well with those who are doing the scripture reading and but God always coordinates it well because he knows what he's doing and I love when he does that because then it's not my engineering of it, it's God's. And so one of the things that Brother Sid read at the end is, search me, Lord, you know my thoughts, or see if my, where my thoughts are, see my intentions. And here he's saying, God knows the intentions of the heart, and he is saying to them, listen, you don't want to be like the Pharisees, they're a bunch of fakers. It's easy to look at them and be impressed. It's easy to look at them and say, man, I aspire to be like that. It's easy to look at them and say, man, they're pretty, uh, they're pretty religious. I wish I had a relationship with God like that. He says, no, 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 no. You don't want to be like them. They're fakers. And by the way, if I can say this and you hear me say this again, but I keep reminding you of this. Church is not full of spiritual religious giants. Church is full of sinners who have been saved sinners who still sometimes struggle sinners who deserve to be in hell nobody here is special and so you might be inspired by somebody else here but i want to say this with all due respect nobody here is worth looking up to we're sinners saved by grace jesus christ is the only one worthy to look up to now you might be inspired and helped and encouraged by somebody else but there's nobody else in here who doesn't absolutely every day of their life deserve to go to hell and so be mindful of that when we try to make idols of people or try to put people up on pedestals and look into Jesus Christ is the only one that belongs there. So he says, beware of them. Fair, uh, disciples, you don't want to be like them. Crowd that's listening to me, you don't want to be like them. Pharisees who are hearing me, you hear me clearly. You're not fooling me. You're not fooling God. Verse number two, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Now this is not, and then he says in verse 3, actually I'll read that too. Therefore whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which you have spoken in the ear and closet shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. This is not an absolute declaration that every secret thing you've ever done is going to be found out. That's not that declaration. But it is this declaration. You ain't fooling God and whatever you do and hide and think you got away with God knows about it especially the Pharisees were pretending they're one way but really in their heart or another way God knows ev absolutely every thought intention of the heart some of the worst sins are the are the hard to measure ones like pride like um, the inner attitudes like critical uh, criticism towards people uh, like mean-spiritedness those things are a lot harder to measure than some of the outward sins and here, the outward sins of the Pharisees were pretty clean. But Jesus is pointing out, listen, 
There's going to come a day of reckoning. There's going to come a day of accounting before when they stand before God. And they may have impressed a lot of other people. They may have fooled a lot of other people. A lot of other people may have given them awards for how spiritual they were. But I want to tell you something. God knows it all. In that day, there was no hiding before the throne of God. There is no secret before God. He knows our intents and He knows our heart. So that's how He begins the message. He begins to call out the religious leaders. He begins to truthfully and boldly proclaim the errors and the fallacies of those of the most respected of the religion of the Jews. And we already know that the Pharisees hate him. We already know that the Pharisees are looking for occasion to kill him. He's not going to make any more friends in this particular area. Verse number four now. He says, I say unto you, my friend, so now he, he turns his audience to everyone there, and he begins to proclaim. He says to his disciples, watch for the Pharisees. Don't want to be like them. Their sin is contagious. Their sin is, is, is absolutely leads to the pits of hell because you have a false religion, a false spirituality, but it, but it doesn't lead to heaven. It's fake. And then he says, but I want to speak to you for a second. Now there's going to be some there that want to hear the words of Jesus, but are afraid of what the Pharisees are going to say. I've witnessed to enough people in my life, and when I say witness, what that means is I tell them the gospel. Sometimes we use the Christian language, the Christian words. You might be like, what do you, what do you mean witnessing? Um, when I say witness or soul winning, that's the act of telling people how they can know Jesus as their own personal Savior. It's the idea that we're all sinners and that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that through Christ alone we can have forgiveness of our sins and a home in heaven. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And when we say witness, that's just sharing that. But I've witnessed enough people in life where they get really close and they say, huh, I really want to believe that, but I don't know what my grandma would say about it. And what they mean by that and maybe they're using grandma, maybe it's mom, maybe it's my family, maybe it's my heritage. What they mean by that is I'm not ready to buy in or believe the gospel because I think someone in my family would get upset or mad about it. And usually these are families that are um, astute in some kind of religion, some kind of other belief system or other version of Christianity. And so they would say, my grandma's rolling in her grave if I got saved, or what would grandma think, or what would my family think, or my, I, I had a teenager one time said, my mom said, I can't get saved. And I told, the per, I told the teenager, well, your mom can say you can't come to church, and your mom can say what she believes, and your mom can say you're not that religion. That's all fine. That has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is whether you individually believe this or not. And that's, nobody can decide that for you one way or the other. And I wasn't trying to defy the mother. I was just saying salvation doesn't work like that. It's not a, a uh, I'm going to do this or don't do this in the sense of my life. It's, it's, I believe this, and then God works in my heart to do all that. Uh, and so there are some, when you're going to see this, there are some there that are afraid to listen to Jesus because they're afraid of what the Pharisees would say. They're afraid what their synagogue is going to say. They're afraid what their rabbi is going to say. They're afraid what their friends are going to say. Then there are others who are saying, man, if I believe, if, as I follow Christ, everyone's going to hate me and want to kill me. I mean, this world right now and this world back then are not friends of the gospel. Now, they might be friends of churches. They might be friendly enough with certain things, but they are not friends of the gospel. 
The gospel is an offensive message to those who reject it. And so they, they reject that. And Jesus said, if you follow after me, don't be surprised when they start hating you. They hated me first. And so the idea here is that what you're about to hear is going to confront, but it also ought to comfort. So it's going to confront those who are not believers, but it should comfort those who are believers. So, so what he says here is, I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. What he's saying is in this life, friends, the worst anyone can do to you, the worst they can do in a permanent level is to kill you. Now, I understand there might be some things that you're thinking of that are worse than death. And I understand that, but understand the worst anyone can do is take your life from you. But after that, they have no ability to determine what happens in eternal life. They have no ability to decide heaven or hell for you. They have no ability to have power past the grave. They do have the power to take life, but that's it. So believer, so what? You stand up for the gospel and you're killed for it. So what? They have no power over you. Now I'm not saying we live in a day and age where you might face death because of the gospel, but I'm also telling you that there may come a day where you might face death for the gospel. Now we know stories of missionaries across seas who do face this very realization that they do face life or death based on the gospel's sake. And the message would be the same. Hey, be comforted. If God has put you in that place and you die for the truth of the gospel, then so be it because they have no power past that. For the rest of everybody here who says, I don't know if I'm a believer, here's the, com the confronting. We're so worried about what man thinks. E easy example of that is link of the teenager through the 20s um, mindset of trends TikTok trends and social media trends and what's trendy and what's viral and there's a high inclination to want to fit into those things and want to be like everybody else or want to be like certain crowds and and again older adults are not immune to this either we may maybe you're not into TikTok trends and things of that nature but there's no doubt that there are other things that influence your mindset of why you do the things you do. And uh, oh, if I stand up for Christ, what are people at work going to do? And, if I, and if, I, if I choose to be a believer, now all of this, and there's different things. And, and so he says, I want you to be confronted. Don't worry about what other people think. Don't worry about their response. The worst they can do is to kill your body. And we idolize people, and we want to impress people, and we want to fit in, and we want... We want our validation to come from what other people think of us. And by the way, it's a very dangerous game to seek validation by what the crowd thinks of us. Because it's a fickle crowd. The crowd will chew you up and spit you out just as fast as it lets you in. Cancel culture is proof of that. It wants nothing to do with anybody that fails its image. Whereas Christ is quite the opposite. He says, you've all failed my image. And I love you still. So he says this. I want to forewarn you, don't fear man. Verse 5. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Now the, here, here's a, a concept in churches that 
are, are, is becoming less and less, and people don't want to hear about it, people don't want to teach about it, but how can we not when Jesus explicitly tells us here in this passage, he says, don't you fear man. Yes, man can do a pretty big damage on you, but the worst they can do is take your life. But I want you to know who you shall fear. Fear God, who not only has power over your body, but has power over your eternity. And then he repeats it, Yea, I say unto you, fear him. So he starts off and he ends off his little phrase here with fear him. So for the Christian, here's the comfort. Hey, guys, don't worry about what everyone else thinks. Worry about what God thinks. Don't worry. And this is not a threat. God is not making a threat to the believer. He's not saying, you better follow me or I'm taking away your salvation. He's not saying that. He's simply telling us, hey, Christian, believer, follower, don't you be worried about what other people think because worry about what God thinks. If you got God's approval, you're good. If God be for us, who could be against us? Don't worry about what everyone else. They don't have power over you. Yes, they seethe and they spit and they snarl and they threaten and they, and they, and they, they promise to do all kinds of horrible things and they induce fear in our lives and it makes us want to run away for the hills. Trust me, I understand that life. Don't worry about that. I have more power than they do. And if I'm with you, who can be against you? But, for the unbeliever, here's the, conf the confronting. Here's the confrontation. Hey, you're worried about what everyone else thinks. Have you considered eternity? Have you thought about God? Have you thought about Jesus? Have you thought about what happens after you die? Because I'll tell you this, you may not believe in Jesus, but He still has power over life and death and power over eternity. You may believe in Jesus, but a false Jesus that needs your help to help save you. And so you believe in Jesus, but I have to be good enough to get to heaven. He says, you better worry about what Jesus says. You better worry about what God says here. Because he has the power over death and he has the power over hell. He has the power to cast into hell. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, he said, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And friend, churches don't like to talk about hell, but how do we avoid it? It's a reality. And the reality is this, and we say this, we say this almost cliche and flippantly, we all deserve hell. No, no, but we all deserve hell, and it's a real place. For a doctor, and certainly I'm not one, matter of fact, I often give bad medical advice, I remember one, one teenager came up to me and he cut his finger on a, um, a lawnmower blade. And he goes, do you think I need stitches? I said, nah, you're fine. Just put a band-aid on it. Three days later, he comes back to me. It's like six stitches. I was like, maybe Melinda will get mad at me for this one. Julian comes to me and says, I have an earache. I said, well, my kids always have earaches. The doctor says, nothing we can do about it. A week later, he comes, ruptured eardrum. So I have no good medical advice. So if I tell you not to go to a doctor, probably should, okay? However, if I was a doctor and you had cancer and I found out about it, I can have the temptation to say, well, I really don't want to ruin their day. I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. I don't want to tell them something that they don't like to hear. So I'm going to say, clean bill of health. Move on with your merry way. Thanks, doc. That would be pretty horrible. 
I'm sure an oncologist hates those conversations, hates the conversations where they got to sit down and say, listen, can you sit down for a second? I'm sure they hate it. And preachers, I mean, unless you're kind of sadistic, I don't love the message that says, sit down for a second. The reality is there's a hell. And the reality is you and I deserve it. And the reality is if you don't get saved, that's where you're going. I don't like to sit and say that. But how do I not, as a faithful preacher, say that? How do I not say what Jesus said, fear ye God who is able to cast the body into hell? How do I not say what Jesus says here? I'm not speaking to you from a higher, holier-than-thou place of piety. I'm speaking to you as a sinner who's been forgiven. Someone who's just been saved, whose sins have been paid for by Christ, telling you that your sins can be paid for by Christ. And so he's speaking to the crowd, and in that crowd there's going to be a variety of different responses. Some people are going to hear that and go, huh? And it may have no sense. They walk out of there and say, oh, he says something about hell, but I don't know. Then there's going to be some people that are like, how dare he tell me that I should be worried about hell? That little rascal. That's the word you use when you want to use a different word that you can't use, right? That rascal. And they're going to leave mad, angry, offended, hateful, and then perhaps there's a crowd that says, I don't want to go to hell. And, and I know I'm a sinner. And he, there's no doubt this man is of God and Jesus is of God. And how do I get saved? And there's going to be people that are going to get saved. Can I tell you the same responses are going to be prevalent here? Some are going to leave here and go, I don't know what he's talking about. And some here are going to be like, how dare he? I came to church to feel good about myself. I didn't hear church some guy up there, no, no idea what he's talking about, tell me that I'm a sinner who deserves to go to hell. You might get mad and might shake my hand and smile, but hate me all along the way, talk bad about everything on the way home. I understand. But there might be some in here who say, by the Spirit of God's directing, I don't want to go to hell. Please show me how I can be saved. And that's what Jesus is saying. Fear Him. So Christian, you be comforted. Don't worry about what the world says. You're, if you're following God, you're in the right place, you're doing the right thing, and if it happens to, right? In our day and age, it may not, but you look back in history, all the martyrs, and all 11, uh, well, actually 10 out of the 11 disciples, and you count Paul, fine, that 11 out of the 12 disciples, all were killed for their faith. Every one of them. And if that's the case, then that's the case. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And if we die for the faith, I'm not looking to sign up to die for the faith, but if that's what God chose, then that's what God chose. And who cares? I care what he thinks. But for the rest of us, hey, fear him who hath the power over life, death, and hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Again, then he goes into this comfort-confronting way. Look at verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? 
and not one of them is forgotten before God. So a farthing is, as far as I can tell through research, one-sixteenth of a denarii, which is a day's wage. So two farthings is about one-eighth of a day's wage, so basically minimum wage and hourly uh, whatever you make hourly, that's what two farthings basically is, or minimum wage. So it's basically 15 bucks, if you will. He said, are not two sparrows sold for 15 bucks? And not one of them dies without a God attending to it, without God knowing it? So he says, friend, those birds that you may find in your yard, in the woods, dead, God saw it, attended to it, and knew it. And then he says this, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. He's talking to the believer here and saying, believer, don't worry, even if it costs you your life, even if the, what you're about to see is about to be a massacre, what you're about to see in the days to come is going to be a horrified sequence of events. They're going to take me, brutally beat me, and kill me. They're going to seek to kill you. They're going to actually kill some of you. People are going to be spread abroad. There's going to be great persecution there in the first church. There's going to be a lot of death. There's going to be a lot of martyrdom, a lot of it. But don't you worry. God knows it. God sees it. He's with you all along the way. He's not forgotten you. He doesn't forget the single bird that falls. And you're worth to him a lot more than birds. You're worth to him his son's death on the cross. He gave up his son for us. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he cares for us. That's of the value of him. He took the most precious blood, the most precious Christ, his son, only begotten, and set him on the cross for my life and for your life. He will not forget us. So there's the comforting. Verse 8, though. Also I say unto you, whosoever should confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. There's comfort. Don't you worry. When you get to heaven, people will know who you are if you're saved. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. So he says, here, listen, you want to live your life denying Christ. Say, no, 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 no. And friend, they will not know your name in heaven, for your name will not be written in the book of life. And Revelation 20 says, whosoever's not, name is not found in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. By the way, we know the perils of hell, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, where the fire is, is not quenched, and the worms dieth not, outer darkness. He says, you want to deny Christ, your name is not written in the book of life. Look at verse 10 now, this is important. And whosoever shall speak word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but unto him that blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven. Let me say it like this, right? There, there is a context of certain things that Jesus was doing that they were attributing to Satan. That's one aspect of it. That no longer can happen because Jesus is not here performing miracles in the flesh. But here is an element of application for that. As the Holy Spirit convicts you. Now what is the Holy Spirit conviction? The feeling inside of you that says, oh, man, I am not sure I'm on my way to heaven. I think I need to be saved. I know that I'm not on the right page with God at times. And I know that I'm not a believer. That's the Holy Spirit's conviction. When the Holy Spirit's working on your life and in, in your heart saying, hey, you, 
You need to be saved. And you're like, la, 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 la. That's rejecting the Spirit of God's work in your life. And if you die, having continually rejected the Spirit of God's convicting you to be saved, you will end up in hell, not because you just resisted the Holy Spirit, but because you resisted the gospel the Holy Spirit was giving to you. If you've ever read the story about um, sinners in the hands of an angry God that Jonathan Edwards preached up in Massachusetts back in the 1700s, he basically read his sermon from a manuscript and wasn't very dynamic in his, in his delivery of it or any such way, but the Spirit of God used that message in, in a most magnificent way where people went white-knuckled. They were gripping the pews in front of them, and they were holding on. The Spirit of God was shaking them. They did not want to necessarily go forward and get saved, but the Spirit of God was so heavy upon them that they caved and went forward and got saved. That was conviction of the Holy Spirit in a very dramatic way. And, and what Jesus is saying here is some of you are under conviction of the Holy Spirit, but you won't listen. Maybe your reputation is too much of an importance to you. Maybe you think, if I go home and tell people I got, I'm a believer now or I got saved, what are they going to say? Especially if you're from a different heritage or a different religion. But let me also say this too, and please, please hear my compassion towards this, because in many ways this is somewhat of my testimony too. For some of you, you might be considering, but everyone thinks I'm saved. And I don't want to get saved now, because what are people going to think? Hey, listen, the angels in heaven rejoice. And true believers will rejoice over anybody, even those that may have thought they were saved, but realized they weren't and got saved. The angels in heaven rejoice. There's no shame and saying, you know what, I thought I was saved, I was playing the game, or I didn't realize, or I made a profession when I was young, and I didn't even know what I was saying, and I know I need to be saved, and Lord, save me. There'd be no hesitation, there would be no shame in that. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you, then you come. Last two verses and we'll be done. This goes back to the comfort now. And when they bring you unto the synagogues and unto the magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what ye shall say, answer, or what ye shall say, uh, or what thing ye shall um, answer or what ye shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. So he's saying to the believers, hey, well, listen, some of you are going to get arrested and killed. Don't worry about what you're going to say. The Spirit of God will give you utterance in those days. And some of you will still die. So here it is in a nutshell. The comfort. Believer, if you're born again and you're saved, God's got you. Don't worry about what anyone else says or does. Don't, may, don't worry about their threats. Don't worry about what fear they put upon you. If God be for you, who could be against you? Yes, and they may kill you. So what? That's just ability to kill your body. But when a believer leaves this life and leaves this body, we go up to Jesus to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. And so what? We're up in heaven with him. And don't even worry about what you're gonna, how you're going to defend yourself and all that. God will give you utterance in that day. You be comforted. He's got you. But for the rest of you, who I myself was once, I will warn you whom you shall fear. And it's not the celebrities. It's not the influencers. 
It's not the people on the street. It's not grandma who will get mad at you. It's God. Dear God, because we're talking about a limited, fragile life, a small span on the timeline of life, on history, our life, just but a drop in a bucket, but just a vapor, and then forever. So what happens in forever is of more importance than anything that happens moment by moment. Don't fear the celebrities. Don't fear the influencers. Don't fear, fear the friends. Don't fear the job. If you know the Holy Spirit's working on your heart to be saved, then I want to invite you in just a few moments to come flying up the aisle and call out on Christ to save you. And if you are a believer, don't worry if someone rejects you for sharing the gospel. Some of you might go with Greg today. I really hope and encourage that you do. Some people are going to be mad that you gave them an invitation for forgiveness. So what? The worst anything anyone's ever happened to us is yelled at and spit on. So what? Even if they killed you, I'd still say, so what? Because that's what Jesus is saying. So what? He died for you. We can live for him. His approval matters. No one else's. Whatever the Holy Spirit's working on your heart for today, would you consider it? Let's have our heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. You're here tonight, and you say, Pastor Jason, I don't know if I'm going to heaven when I die. Hey, listen, is the Spirit of God pricking your heart? Is the Spirit of God calling on you, saying you by name? Hey, listen, I love you. I died for you. Come. Come unto me. Receive me as your Savior. You know my deal. I don't make anyone embarrassed. I don't call anybody out. I don't make you do anything you don't want to do. But please, can I pray for you? If God's convicted your heart today, and you know that you need to call on Jesus, you say, Pastor Jason, I don't know if I'm going to heaven and I need to call on Jesus. Would you pray for me? Would you quietly raise your hand right now that I can pray for you? God bless you. I see your hand and I see your hand and I see your hand. God bless you. Anybody else? I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. I, God bless you. I see your hand too. Anyone else? There's quite a few people that raised their hand. God bless you and God bless you. Anybody else? I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. Let me ask this second question because I told you this in the beginning that the devil sometimes attacks like this. How many people here know they're saved, but they're struggling sometimes, they're doubting it? Uh, the, uh, my assurance of salvation, sometimes I'm questioning that. Can I pray just for strength in that area? If you sometimes struggle with your salvation, God bless you, I see your hands in your hands. Okay, good. Good, I see many. I see many. I'm going to pray for assurance there. And one last one. After hearing this this morning, what Jesus says, how many people want to make a decision to be bold for Christ and say, whatever it means, it means, but I will be bold for Christ. That's my decision today. Would you quietly raise your hand if that's your decision today? Praise God. Lots of hands. So here's what I want to do, and I want you to hear me clearly. Again, I'm not going to embarrass you, call you out. Quite a few people raised their hands and said, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. When we stand together in just a moment, heads will be bowed, eyes were supposed to be closed, 
The piano will play. If you want to know how to be saved, I want, to co- I want you to step out of the aisle, and I want you to come meet me right here. No one's looking. And I'll put you, a guy with a guy and a lady with a lady, and they'll answer some of your questions. They'll show you from the scriptures. They'll show you from Jesus' words how you can know for sure that today you're on your way to heaven by calling on Jesus. I know that sometimes can feel, be, feel a little fearful. I don't want to step out. I know, I know. I'm not going to make you. But I want to invite you to, if the Holy Spirit's working on your life, He's convicting you, then come. Please, come. And if God has pricked your heart and, and you just know you need assurance, you can come forward and pray. If God's worked on your life about something else and you want to go out in boldness and in power, Come and pray. If you need to confess something, come and pray. You just use these seats up here, first couple rows, up at the front. Just get on your knees before God and pray. But what I really want to speak to is those that God is saying, hey, listen, come to me. I want to save you. I want you to come out and meet me. I'm not going to make you, but I want to invite you to. So let's stand together. Head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. As the piano comes, if you want to come talk to somebody about how to be saved, why don't you step out of your seat and come? Be the first one. Be the brave one. Be the bold one. Just look at me. Come meet me and we'll show you. Anyone else? Some have come. How about you? You want to talk to somebody about how to be saved, have some questions, unsure about some things? Just step out of your seat and come. You want to pray about assurance? I'm not sure. I go back and forth. I get it. Come pray. God, show me. But if God's convicting your heart on something, or maybe you want to just talk to somebody because you need assurance. You want to make sure okay too okay too by the way in Psalm 139 that brother Sid read talked about that if God were to number how many times he thought about you in a day it'd be as the sand of the sea and yet we hear about that he cares for us so much more than he does even the sparrows that the amount of hairs on our head are numbered he knows and he cares let's live for him friends Some have come to talk about salvation. You wouldn't be the only one. Don't worry. Don't let fear creep in. Don't let hesitation creep in. Come. Fear the Lord. Come be saved. Come be forgiven of all your sins. Come have a new name written in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. There's still people praying. There's still time for you. Hey, listen, the invitation is never over. If after the service you feel more comfortable talking to me, grab me aside and say, Pastor Jason, show me how I can be saved. Or I have some questions about some some things. Go ahead. You want to call me this week? Go ahead. Whatever I can do to be a help to you, especially in the area of salvation. Don't fear your reputation. Don't fear what others are going to think. 
And like I said earlier, we were going to be in this passage anyway on Thursday night. But I just felt God prompting us that we ought to deal with it Sunday morning with the whole of us. Christians, we need some bold Christians to go out and say, I don't care what the world says and I don't care how much they might hate it. This is too important of a message for them to know that Christ loves them. I love what Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do as they crucified him. He said the, the message of the gospel and the completion of the gospel was too important for even the enemies to not hear about. Jonah didn't want his enemies to hear about it. But God, God got them to go. And they repented. But I'm telling you, God wants to use you. And if you're here and this is kind of new to you, I'm telling you this right now. He's not willing that any should perish. God wants to save you. He's, he died in your place. And this may sound profoundly amazing and maybe even unbelievable but i'm telling you he thought about you as he died on the cross he thought about you and has been waiting for this moment in your life that you might call on him father we thank you so much for your patience with us your grace your long suffering lord i pray for those that came to talk about salvation or assurance of salvation i pray that you just give the people the power of god Lord, for the many hands that were raised that they were unsure about salvation or, Lord, that they weren't saved, Lord, give them the boldness to talk to someone. Or, Lord, if they already know the gospel and they just want to cry out to Jesus to save them, Father, give them the words that they might say, Lord, because we know it's not magic words. It's, it's the heart of belief and repentance. And so, Father, I pray that they would call out on you to be their, their Savior. And Father, I pray, Lord, that for those that struggle with assurance, give them the assurance. If they're truly saved, bind Satan's attacks of doubt. And for, Lord, those who want to go out in power to serve you, Lord, I pray that you'd anoint them, protect them. May they shout it from the housetops. Father, thank you for these comforting words. And Lord, I thank you for the confronting words as well, Lord, that don't just confront without remedy, but confront with gospel remedy. Bless the refreshments and the food. Bless each person here, each visitor. We're so thankful they're here. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Greg.